Hello, I'm Oliver Colling, and this is my 70s TV childhood. Hello, and a very warm welcome back to the podcast which takes you back in time to the 1970s, where we used to wear clothes made from the miracle fabric nylon, which crackled with static electricity whenever we took them off to go to bed at night. I do remember arguing with my mother about wearing nylon shirts, which were itchy, sweaty, and generally uncomfortable. But I was told that they were drip-dry, apparently, which meant that mums up and down the land could reduce the size of their weekly ironing pile. But as well as remembering what it was like to be a child in 1970s Britain, this podcast also has a particular interest in the role of television in our and our families' lives at that time. It's my belief that TV was a common factor in our nation's life during the 1970s, in a way which it wasn't before and hasn't been since. My family, like many others, experienced lots of the decade alongside what was happening on the TV. As I've said before, life was a bit grim for our parents in the 70s, with three-day weeks, the run on the pound, inflation, unemployment, and what seemed like endless rounds of strikes. It was a bit different for us kids, as we didn't know any better and just carried on playing and, well, not just being kids in a way which all children do, whenever or wherever they're born. With all of those dire things going on in the country, I suspect most of our parents and their friends needed something to cheer them up. So what did they turn to for a bit of light relief? In many cases, it was the television. So I'm going to take a look back at the staple of UK TV schedules of the 1970s, the situation comedy. Now, this is a huge subject, and this episode will provide a brief aperitif on the subject before more in-depth examinations of particular shows in future episodes. If you like, this will be our our aperitif, our sort of bottle of baby sham or light ale ahead of the main event. UK sitcoms were at their most plentiful during the 1970s. I think that schedulers had learned from US programming that viewers liked to be cheered up and that laughter was something which made everyone's lives better. Having said that, my own memories were that not every sitcom provided those laughs. Now, I'm going to concentrate on UK-produced sitcoms, largely because we didn't really get any American comedy shows at all until the 1980s in the UK. I think there was a certain snobbishness in British TV producers, that the British sense of humour was so finely tuned that audiences wouldn't understand the humour of US TV shows, and, and vice versa. I also suspect that homegrown shows were much cheaper to produce, so far easier to fill the schedules with. Just before recording this episode, I tried a short memory exercise and tried to write down as many UK sitcoms from the 1970s as I could in one minute. It was quite a good challenge, and I suggest you try it at home and see what you come up with. I came up with 37 shows. Yes, 37 shows. I was quite pleased with that. 
but I think it also shows how many sitcoms there were and how important they were to the evening schedules of both BBC One and ITV. Why don't you try it now? Get yourself a pen and paper, press pause on whatever device you're listening to the show on, and give yourself a minute. Ready? Go! Okay, for those of you who have pressed pause and now rejoined us, and also for those who didn't stop at all, we'll just carry on. So for those who've taken the challenge, how did you get on? So what were we laughing at in the 1970s, and would we still laugh if we saw them today? Here are my 37 shows. Deep breath. Okay. On the buses. Rising damp. Porridge, and then going straight. Dad's Army. Terry and June. Citizen Smith. Some mothers do have them. Faulty Towers. Get some in. Please, sir. The Fenchurch Street Gang. Man About the House. George and Mildred and Robin's Nest. The Good Life. To the Manor Born. Mind Your Language. Are You Being Served? Open All Hours. Steptoe and Son. It Ain't Our Fop Mum. The Liver Birds. Whatever Happened to the Likely Lads? Bless This House. Mm, love Thy Neighbour. Doctor in the House and the various other follow-ups, Doctor on the Go, Doctor at Sea, Doctor up the pole, whatever they were called. Nearest and Dearest. You're Only Young Twice. The Cuckoo Waltz. Shelley. Mixed Blessings. Oh no, it's Selwyn Froggett. Potter. Sykes. A Sharp Intake of Breath. And finally, Yanks Go Home. Well, what do you make of that? There's quite a wide range of subjects covered there, and this must only be a small selection of the many shows that were on. But one important factor is to understand how popular these these sitcoms were. So I've also got hold of some of the watch programmes from each year in the 1970s in terms of audience figures, and it makes for interesting, if somewhat surprising, reading. So let's start off in 1970. Well, the top two programmes in 1970 were Miss World and The Benny Hill Show, which tells us something about the, the, the time. Uh, within their Steptone Sun, number seven. Uh, on the Buses, number 11. Please, Sir, 16. The Dustbin Men, at number 17. 1971, we've got Benny Hill and Miss World at the top of the charts again. Bless This House comes in. <laughs> uh, what else have we got? Nearest and Dearest, a good northern sitcom. Uh, oh, not so many there. 1972, Steptoe and Son, Love Thy Neighbour, Till Deathers Do Part. What else have we got? On the Buses makes another appearance. Bless This House. So a good five or six out of the top 20. Similarly in 1973, Love Thy Neighbour, Bless This House. And Mother Makes Three. Oh, yes, that was one with Wendy Craig that wasn't on my list. Um, and some mothers do have them. 1974. Love Thy Neighbours now in second place in the most watched programmes. Bless This House still there. And Mother Makes Five, so more Wendy Craig there. And I think that's it. So 1975, Love Thy Neighbours still there. 
Dad's army. Uh, man about the house makes an appearance, as does Bless This House again. 1976. George and Mildred actually had more viewers than Man About the House, which is interesting. We'll discuss that in a little while. And so there are fewer in 1976. Does this mean there's a change? Well, let's have a look at 1977. George and Mildred still in the top 10, but we've also got Oh No, It's Selwyn Froggett, Doctor on the Go, The Cuckoo Waltz, Robin's Nest. Yeah, so plenty of sitcoms there. 1978. Some mothers do have them. Sharp intake of breath. Sykes. Uh, Robin's Nest still there. And finally, let's have a look at 1979. And the most popular and the most watched program in 1979 was the final episode of To the Manor Born. We also had Are You Being Served in the Charts? Sykes again. Last of the Summer Wine. Citizen Smith. Rings on Their Fingers. And some others do have them. So almost half of the top 10 of the programs in 1979 were sitcoms. So so what do you make of that? Quite uh, a few sitcoms in there which remained popular for many years, and a few which I hadn't got in my list. I don't remember the Dustbin Men, but having just looked it up, it was apparently very popular and starred Trevor Bannister, later to become Mr. Lucas in Are You Being Served, which we featured in our earlier episode, Ground Floor, Perfumery, Stationery, and Leather Goods. As I said earlier, there are many shows on my list which deserve a more in-depth examination in future episodes, but I'd like to spend the rest of this episode looking at a few of those I mentioned and try and get some insights into what they meant to me and what they showed about the sorts of things that our country thought were funny such a long time ago. On the Buses was insanely popular. It ran between 1969 and 1973, although it was repeated ad nauseam after its run finished and is still being shown on ITV3 today. Several episodes are amongst the highest rated programmes ever broadcast in the UK and weekly audiences regularly exceeded 10 million at their peak. So why was it so popular? Well, I really have no idea. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the show, it was based around a London bus depot and featured Stan Butler and Jack Harper, a driver and conductor who fancied themselves as Jack the Lad and spent their time chasing the crumpet, as they might put it, and getting into scrapes with the officious Inspector Blake, or Blakey, whose stock line, I'll get you, butler, prompted hilarity for the live studio audience every time he said it. Other action revolved around Stan's home life, where he shared a house with his mum and his sister Olive and her husband Arthur. The main jokes, if you can call them that, I seem to remember, revolved around Olive being overweight and ugly, or around Stan trying to sneak birds, as he called them, back into the house without his mum finding out. All of this left me rather cold. Perhaps it was because, as a northerner, I didn't sympathise with the cheerful Cockney geezer characters. I was clearly too young to pick up the sexist, possibly misogynistic elements of the script, but I did think it very strange that Stan and Jack, who were clearly getting on a bit, 
spent their time pursuing their female colleagues, who were young enough to be their daughters in many cases. Reg Varney, who played Stan, was born in 1916, so he was already 53 by the time the first episode of On the Buses was shown. So there was something a bit creepy about the whole thing. I can only wonder what the HR department of London Buses would have made of it, had they had one in the 1970s. But with such huge audiences, it must have made plenty of others laugh. However, not me, even as a small child. Incidentally, in a sad postscript, Bob Grant, who played Jack, found it hard to get work once the series had finished, so typecast he had become as the laddish bus conductor. Grant had previously been a much-admired stage actor and part of Joan Littlewood's theatre company in the 1960s before taking the role in On the Buses. And I'm afraid, as a result, his mental health declined over many years before he finally took his own life. So On the Buses showed us one part of what made the British laugh in the 1970s. Where should we look next? Man About the House was another London-based sitcom which shed light on the morals and opinions of Britain in the 1970s and, in its day, was considered rather racy and quite daring. Why was that? Well, the premise of the show was that two young women, Chrissy, played by Paula Wilcox, and Joe, played by Sally Thompson, then best known for playing an 11-year-old in The Railway Children, despite her being 20 at the time, shared a flat with, gasp, a single man, Robin Tripp, played by Richard O'Sullivan. It may seem hard for us to understand today, but 1970s Britain was still a very conservative with a small c society. Many people still held on to what might be seen today as outdated moral values, so much so that the idea of a single man sharing a flat with a couple of single girls was really quite shocking. Never mind the contemporary attitudes to sexuality, race and children whose parents weren't married. This was another show which was watched by millions every week and was really very popular. Why? Well, I think that in spite of the raciness of its central premise, it was quite an old-fashioned comedic setup, played out by a good ensemble of actors. The usual plots would involve Robin trying to assert his authority and or superiority over his female flatmates, whilst gently flirting with them, and usually coming off second best to show how men were not really as great as they thought they were, and that women were generally far more sensible and successful. Added to this was the comic dynamic provided by Brian Murphy and Jutha Joyce, who played George and Mildred Roper, the landlords of the flat where Robin and the girls lived. As I say, most of the plot lines were innocent enough, and nothing too offensive in the scripts, making it just the sort of show that families could watch and enjoy together, as we did in our millions. Mad About the House was also remarkable, in that it produced two extremely successful spin-off sitcoms, both of which featured in the ratings roundup I provided earlier. George and Mildred featured the Ropers, who'd moved out of their flat into a fancy suburban housing estate, much to the horror of their snobbish neighbour, Geoffrey Formile, whose sparring with the Ropers, particularly George, formed the basis for much of the humour. There was also a little boy, Tristram, who I think was supposed to be quite cute, but was, I have to say, universally loathed by everyone in my class at primary school. 
The series ran between 1976 and 1979 and was due to continue after that until the sudden death of Eutha Joyce put paid to those plans. Joyce, it turned out, had been a secret alcoholic, drinking half a bottle of brandy every day for over 10 years before de- developing cirrhosis of the liver. The other spin-off was Robin's Nest, featuring Richard O'Sullivan's character, Robin Tripp, running a restaurant with his girlfriend, Vicky. Oh, did I mention that Robin had been a trainee chef in Men About the House? Well, that sort of follows on now. And this series also caused a minor moral scandal by showing an unmarried couple living together. Yes, really. Even in the late 1970s, this was seen as extremely controversial, although the series was, once again, enormously popular. It also shed a little light onto how disability was seen in the 1970s, as one of the main sources of comedy was Albert, the one-armed dishwasher, who regularly broke the crockery as he washed it. Do you know... For an episode looking at what made us laugh, I'm starting to sound a bit miserable. So let's move on. Love them or hate them, the carry-on films epitomised a certain type of British humour of the 60s and 70s. So it was inevitable that some of that would be carried over into the small, onto the small screen. I do remember that there was a series of carry-on programmes made specially for TV, starring the regular faces from the films. But the most... A successful link was through Sid James, who, for many, epitomised 70s comedy, and his role in Bless This House lifted what could have been a run-of-the-mill sitcom into a British classic. Parents dealing with their children growing up and causing them problems. The setup was familiar to all viewers, but the execution was brilliantly done. Sid James played the patriarch, Sid Abbott, who was really just another version of the many characters called Sid, which he played in the Carry On films. So Sid reluctantly did what his wife, Jean, played by Diana Coupland, wanted him to do, whilst dealing with their trendy kids, played by Sally Geeson and Robin Stewart. He's also the last character in a sitcom that I remember smoking a pipe. But in the main, I remember that the actors delivered a sharp script expertly. And above all, and really importantly, made us laugh. Bless This House ran for five years between 1971 and 1976, over 65 episodes. It was due to continue for several years after that. But four days after the last episode of the sixth series had been broadcast, Sid James collapsed on stage at the Sunderland Empire Theatre and died on his way to hospital. The loss of a great British comedy icon spelled the end for Bless This House. Again, I'm afraid um, I am sounding a bit miserable, but let's try and end on a, a high point. I expect some of you smiled as you heard that tune, and I also suspect that some of you grimaced as well. Actually, I wouldn't be surprised if some of you didn't do both. All it takes for me is to hear that theme tune, and I'm back sitting cross-legged on our living room floor watching Some Mothers Do Have Them on our old black and white TV. 
This programme made me laugh, as it was undeniably hilarious at times, but it also made me cringe in embarrassment at the situations that its idiot savant main character, Frank Spencer, played by Michael Crawford, got into. Hang on, let's forget the savant bit. No, let's face it, Frank Spencer was mostly an idiot without the savant. But for those of you listening who don't remember the show, Frank was a childlike, accident-prone man who was always trying to do his best for his long-suffering and apparently quite normal wife, Betty, played by Michelle Dutrice, and then later for his daughter, Jessica, as well. The plots involve Frank's abysmal efforts to do simple things like household DIY, taking his wife away for a weekend to a hotel, or just getting a job. Whilst largely a sympathetic character, in the same mould as Norman Wisdom's Pitkin, Frank Spencer used to drive me mad by being so useless, but also made me laugh by his hopeless actions, some of which required some spectacular and really quite dangerous stunts, all of which were performed by Michael Crawford himself. The character became a fixture in British culture and was often imitated by everyone from Mike Yarwood down to children in the playground. I do remember a fancy dress competition at Padgate Church of England Primary School where we had no less than four Frank Spencers in the lineup, all of them wearing trench coats and berets and spouting Crawford's catchphrase, Ooh, Betty. Like the other shows we've mentioned, the audience figures for the show were enormous. And I think it was so popular because it had universal appeal across all generations. It was also pretty simple in its plotting, and its main purpose was to make you laugh. As I say, just hearing that tune still brings a smile to my face. So what has our brief introduction to the sitcoms of the 70s told us? I think it highlights how long ago it was and how we as a society have changed. I haven't even touched upon issues like race and how it was portrayed in controversial shows like Mind Your Language and Love Thy Neighbour. But it seems like culturally we were still in a place where it was acceptable to have randy middle-aged bus drivers chasing their colleagues for a bit of nookie, as they am sure they would have referred to it, and where it was okay to make fun of a woman who was overweight. It was also a time where the idea of single men and women living under the same roof was seen as being quite racy, and where a one-armed dishwasher was a regular source of jokes, and also where a pipe-smoking father couldn't understand his teenage children. I suppose that represented where we were as a country. In transition from being top nation in the world to a realisation that we were a shadow of our former selves, change was on the way as part of our post-industrial development, But going through that change was painful, meaning people had to find amusement in what they could. It's very easy to jump to moral judgments using our contemporary values to condemn the past, but I think we should be more understanding. The programmes I've been talking about were broadcast when I was a child. Now I'm a man in my 50s, and whilst I remember some of those 70s programmes vividly, it was a very long, long time ago. We're going to look at more sitcoms in future episodes, so don't worry if your favourite hasn't been mentioned yet. There is plenty of time for that. I'd love to know about your favourite 70s sitcoms. 
or about anything else you fondly remember from your own 70s childhood. You can share your thoughts with me on our blog, www.my70stvchildhood.com, tweet at 70stvchildhood, or email me, oliver, at my70stvchildhood.com. So that's all we've got time for for now. So take care and see you again soon for more from My 70s TV Childhood.